Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. Okay, for those of us that celebrate Christmas, three. The rest of you, I don't even know if you know how to count. But anyways... Because we sing, we sing about three wise men, right? But I'm telling you, if there were only three wise men, they came in with an entourage because, it's, the scripture says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard about this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Three men, three foreigners don't show up in Jerusalem and make everybody, everybody in Jerusalem nervous. If there was only three wise men, they came with an entourage, so when they came down the street, everybody said, oh, something's up. There's a parade, and we don't really know what it's about. This is a little unsettling. Somebody has said that they're here about the birth of the king of the Jews. <laughs> As was everyone in Jerusalem. Herod, he, verse 4, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Because he doesn't know. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. For this is what the prophet wrote. Oh, and you, O oh Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So, the Hebrew prophet Micah, it happens in chapter 5, verse 2. Anybody with a decent Bible has a little asterisk. You can go down and look and see where the prophecy comes from. Again, uh, since it's coming from Micah, I use my little pink bookmark that I gave one or two of you guys several weeks ago that you already lost. And I use it because it's a great resource. Micah was written pre-exile to the southern kingdom of Judah. So like Isaiah, Micah is written approximately 700 years previous to this event. Just need you to have some context here. Seven years, 700 years previous to this event, Micah writes this prophecy. Now it's coming to pass. Matthew is telling this story to make the point that again, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. He makes that statement built upon Jesus's unique birth. No one else gets their own star as a birth announcement, right? I mean, I know your kids are special, but not that special. I mean, special in a good way. Some of you went, well, you don't know my kid. <laughs> Jesus's birth was unique. No one else gets a star at their birth announcement, and his birth is fulfilling several prophecies, which is highly improbable. Did anybody else take statistics with me? Am I the only one that took statistics? Isn't statistics fun? Finally, math has a reason. We, we homeschool, this has nothing to do with my sermon. We homeschool our kids. Brennan solved for X because if you want you solve for X, then you get to go out and play. Bethany is like, why are we solving for X? I'm like, I don't have a clue why we're solving for X. So that you get a grade. She's like, not good enough. She's 21, she still hasn't figured out why we're solving for X, so she doesn't even try. <clears throat> well, they're kind of agree. <laughs> why are we solving for X? It makes no sense. Anyway, one of these days she'll take statistics and be like, oh, this has a purpose. 
enough about statistics. Here we go. Matthew chapter two, verse seven. Here we go, verse seven. We're just moving forward. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, with the magi, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. This is important later on in the story. Verse eight. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So Herod seems to be feeling some anxiety here, I think. I think, I think where there's a little anxiety. The wise men, they've traveled all this way because they are convinced. These wise men have come a long way because they are, because they are convinced that the, because of this unique star, that a worship-worthy king of the Jews has been born. Put yourself in Herod's sandals. You are dubbed king of the Jews because Rome says that you're king of the Jews. And then all of a sudden, these men who are much smarter than you, they come along and they say, we're trying to find this baby who has been born because we've looked at the stars and we see that the king of the Jews has been born and, and we have come because he is worthy of our worship. By the way, Herod, how's it going? Point us to the one we came to worship. Follow? So, we're, so Herod says, hey, I, I, want to, I want to get involved in this. This is potentially a problem uh, between the Jews and the Romans. So if a baby has been born who has already fulfilled three messianic Hebrew prophecies, three, because he fulfilled the descendants uh, from Abraham and, and David, he fulfilled the virgin birth, and he is born in Bethlehem, so we're already three. This seems to be a real deal, real enough that Herod needs to keep a close eye on this situation and see what is happening in the event he needs to get involved in it, right? Because as a good leader, you see the problem coming down the way. Verse nine, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Just a point of geography, Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. It's a little bit to the west, but it's mostly south. So this star that, was, that guided them, that was always in the east, now it's guiding them to Bethlehem. This star is moving around very strategically, okay? I know sometimes people are, oh, it's this comet in the sky, and we can look at the, arch uh, the, the charts, and then we can see when this comet was here. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's that common. I, I, think that it's, I think it's supernatural. It's not just a little natural. I think it's supernatural. It went ahead of them, and it stopped. So it's moving around. It moves to the south so that they can follow it south. And then it stopped over the place where the child was born. A star stopped over a specific house. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy because they know they found the place. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped this little baby. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Before the star was in the east, now it guides them to Bethlehem and then to a specific house where Jesus was. It kind of reminds me back in the Old Testament whenever the children of Israel left Egypt and they followed. Remember there was something that they followed. Do you remember what it was? A pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Yeah, 
So, so they're following, following this, this star. It stops right over a house. Evidently, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were no longer in the stable because the text tells us that they entered the house. Kind of messes up our nativity scene. Uh, I'm sorry. At Christmas, we preach it so that you can keep your nativity scene. Um, in March, we preach it as the text says it instead of how we've made traditions about it. So you can go home and... Uh, Take your wise men completely out of the nativity, I guess. Add more camels and cows. Uh, nonetheless, they came to worship Jesus. There is speculation of Jesus' age here. It seems safe to say that... Um, this is significantly after Jesus' birth, because I, while they're still in Bethlehem, evidently, they have gone, left the stable and gone to a house, but it's also before Jesus is two years old, two years old. You'll see why here in a few minutes. We'll get there. The wise men found the king of the Jews they had been looking for, and they worshiped him, and they gave him gifts. This is significant because, listen carefully, people outside of the Jewish faith People outside of the Jewish faith supernaturally found Jesus. The Jews have the scriptures. They have the instructions of how and when the Messiah is going to come. And they didn't get it. These pagans from another land, they looked up in the sky and they said, look. They said, behold. If you were here last week, if not... If you don't remember, that's okay. That's why I have notes, so I can remember from week to week. These pagans looked into the sky and they said, behold, the king of the Jews is born. The Jews didn't get it. The people from another land supernaturally found Jesus. These men did not find Jesus because they were using the right translation of Hebrew scriptures, because there would have been, right? Right? Many, hey, what are you going to argue about if you can't argue about translations? It appears that these men, in fact, had no scriptures. That really messes with our theology. These men found Jesus because God supernaturally brought them to Jesus. I'm going to drink coffee while you ponder that. Because we have, we have in our brains, there is a singular system for coming to Jesus. And it is through those glass doors. <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of how we believe. Everybody comes to Jesus like I did. You sit on a pew for 45 years and then one day you're preaching and you're like, I really do believe this. <laughs> I know. Y'all think it's a joke that I just recently got saved. Jesus does not only come to the Jews. Jesus does not only come to the church people with the right translation. The plan from Genesis 12, listen to me, is that through Jesus, through Jesus, through the prophesied Messiah, through the Christ child, every family on this little blue ball is going to be blessed. Yeah, but Brent, whenever he says every family, he means only the families that we like. No, 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 no. He says in Genesis 12 that through the descendants of Abraham, every family on the earth is going to be blessed. Even people without scripture? The Magi didn't have the scriptures. They had a star. They had a supernatural sign that led them to Jesus. <laughs> 
I like the way you're looking at me. Y'all are nervous, aren't you? I love it when you're nervous. Verse 12, when it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So we have these guys from a whole other country blatantly disobeying the command of the governor. That's a pretty risky move. They come to a foreign country, uh, they, they break the law, kind of, and, and they take off. They must have been very confident that it was God warning them. Number two, I'm going to go through these others pretty quick, okay? So pay close attention. Here we go. Number two, called out of Egypt. This is one of the lesser prophecies that, well, we just don't pay attention to it as much. Called out of Egypt. Verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. This happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Hosea. This one is about 750 years previous. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. 750 years previous to this incident, the Lord is saying, look, behold. The Lord has been setting up signs, plural, by the way. The Lord has been setting up signs to point toward the Messiah for over 6,000 years. This happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken so that those in the story... This happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken so that, here's the purpose, so that those in the story, those Jews reading the book of Matthew for the first time, and you and I might know. And I put that in all caps and bold, okay? So when you're taking notes, so that I might know that the signs that God has been setting up for all human history are pointing to this baby Jesus, this one baby. That is the only reason this happens the way it does. God wants us to know that Jesus fulfills the Lord's foretelling of the Christ, the Savior. It is a big sign, a huge sign for the world to see. It's like... You know what? It's like a a bright star in the dark sky. Hmm. God did that. Number three. Number three. Herod's brutal action. Herod was furious. Verse 16. Herod was furious. You know what I mean? I speak for a living. If you type it, it's a typo. If you're saying it, it's a... Hako. Let's just pray and bless our food and go. Thank you for these tacos. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. Does that strike you as funny? 
Herod was furious that the wise men outwitted. They were wise men. So come on, Herod. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys. Listen, listen, so we just took a turn here. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem where they, who were two years old or under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance that we talked about previously, this is not typically part of the Christmas story, right? Where we're doing Christmas Eve and we're doing presents and we're doing all the fun things and singing jingle bells, jingle bells. Uh, we don't tell about Herod sending the soldiers to Bethlehem to kill. There's a speculation is that he killed about, these soldiers that he sent killed about two dozen baby boys just because Herod, Herod felt the need to solve the problem of the king of the Jews. Are you with me? He went to Bethlehem. It would have been a small town. He kills uh, two dozen baby boys because he's got to solve a problem. He has, he has some competition that's coming up, and it seems to be supernatural competition because he consulted with his religious advisors, and they said, yeah, it's written in Scripture that it's going to happen, and it's going to happen in Bethlehem. This is serious. And he said, well, I know. I know how to thwart the plan of God. I'll just kill all of the baby boys. And then God can't do what he wants to do. I'm not drinking coffee. I'm waiting for you to think. All I have to do is kill all the baby boys and I can thwart the plan of God. God can't do what he wants to do because I'm Herod and I'll do whatever I want to do and I'll fix this so it works for me. Verse 17, Herod's brutal action fulfilled. Did you read that? Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. <coughs> Pardon me. He says, verse 10, verse 18, a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Herod needed to thwart the plan of God. God's plan threatened Herod's plan. Herod took dramatic and evil actions to stop God's plan. And on the way to stop God's plan, Herod unknowingly constructed another sign. A gigantic arrow pointing to the baby Jesus that says, this is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. The Lord said he was sending. This is him. Do you see that? There, Herod thought he was being all sharp. He was fulfilling the prophecies that had already been spoken by the Lord. He's fitting into God's meticulously perfect plan. We get so wound up about the evil people of this world. We get so wound up about the evil people of this world because we have this perspective that evil people are ruining God's plan. 
And like I've told you before, not only are you not God, but evil people are not God. God is God and he's got a plan. Maybe we should, I'm not oversimplifying, okay? I'm gonna say this and some of you are, well, Brent, it's not that simple. I'm telling you it is that simple. I'm telling you from, from two chapters in Matthew, it is this simple. Here's my statement. You can, you can disagree with me and then you would be wrong. <clears throat> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Maybe we should just focus all our attention on the one who actually has a plan and has the power to unfold that plan. See, we get focused on the people who have a plan but have no power. God has a plan and he has all the power. So I'm gonna bet on Jesus every time. Well, what about the evil people? What about them? In this story, the evil people are congruent with God's perfect plan. Brent, how does evil fit into your theology? I'm just telling you what the scripture says, okay? God foretold it 700 years previous, and then it happened. How you reconcile that, that's up to you. I'm going to bet that God knows what he's doing. If you don't think God knows what he's doing, you're in the wrong church. <laughs> you're in the wrong church. In fact, you should use Sunday morning to go fishing. That would be more productive for your time. Number four. I like the way, some of you just, some of you guys just gave me a full stop. I just saw that on your face. You're like... So what Brent's saying is God is God and I'm not. What we need is a sign. <laughs> Verse four, or number four. Called a Nazarene. Called a Nazarene. Verse 19. When Herod died, he's already out of the story. <clears throat> when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were killing, who were trying to kill the, the child are dead. God has removed them from the story. Verse 21, so Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. And picture what's going on. He returns to the land of, of Israel with uh, Jesus and his mother. <clears throat> but when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. That makes sense. Herod was after my son. Now Archelaus is probably going to be after my son too. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. You got a picture of the New Testament map. The Sea of Galilee over to the left is, is going to be the region of Galilee or the south and the left, the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, again, what the prophets, this time plural, had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Now watch this. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, uh, just one, uh, not just one prophet, but several prophets uh, had pointed to Christ coming from Nazareth. So this week, as I'm kind of studying and learning, and uh, sometimes I read things and I forget them, so maybe I have read this before, but I think that this is intriguing, so I'm gonna share it with you. Nazareth, because we, Nazareth, I try not to go long. I try. I know I never proved that, but I do try. Nazareth 
was a, a Roman military outpost. Do you know that? So you have this, this very, they were Roman, they were Greeks, they were pagan as they could possibly be. So Nazareth is this rough, immoral, dirty, in every sense of the word kind of town. It was not a quiet little Norman Rockwall town. Who's Norman Rockwell? <laughs> He's the one who paints all the little Christmas families having their turkey. <clears throat> Nazareth was not that. You remember when Philip told uh, Nathaniel about Jesus, Philip's wanting Nathaniel to follow Jesus too, and he says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and, and Philip's, or Nathaniel's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth, Nazareth had a reputation for being a nasty, dirty, no good from anything place. You with me? Now, I find it a little interesting that where God positions Jesus, I mean, if he can position a star in the sky, he can position where his son's going to grow up. So I think it's interesting that where God positions Jesus is not in Bethlehem or or Jerusalem, I mean, it would make sense, Jerusalem, because that's where we worship. That's where Jesus should be. No, Jesus put, God puts Jesus in this military outpost with a bunch of non-believing, idol-worshiping, sinful, sinful people. God brings the holy and he plants it right in the middle of the unholy. Do you remember this morning we read about John chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh. God takes what is holy and he brings it to where all the unholy people are. The Christ comes by way of the Jews. The Christ comes by way of the Jews to all humanity. That was God's plan. In spite of Herod, in spite of all of the naysayers, in spite of the Jews, in spite of, in spite of, in spite of, God's plan perfectly unfolded. The Christ comes by way of the Jews to all humanity. Jesus' birth was unique. Announced by an anomaly in the sky and celebrated by scholars who didn't know about Yahweh. They didn't know about the Christ child. They just knew that this baby was a king worthy of worship. Jesus' birth fulfilled the, genealogies, uh, the genealogy of chapter one. That is somewhat probable, actually. Jesus' birth fulfilling the prophecy of the virgin birth at the beginning of chapter two, or at the, at the end of chapter one. I have it written wrong in my notes. It actually makes Jesus' birth complete, completely, completely improbable. That's why we call that impossible. The probability of a virgin birth is zero. But if we remove the virgin birth and only consider that Jesus fulfilled the four prophecies of chapter two, here's my statistics. I started to put the numbers up there, but I know I just bore you to death. You'd be asking for a refund on your giving and your pancakes this morning. So I didn't do it. 
If we remove the, the virgin birth, which is impossible, messes up the math is the problem. We only consider the, the four prophecies in chapter two. It is highly improbable that one person's birth is going to meet four of the Hebrew prophetic requirements that Jesus' birth did. Jesus is unique. Jesus is we have the proof in, in Matthew 1 and 2. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Matthew saw it in the genealogy. The Magi saw it in the sky. You and I have it plainly recorded so that we can simply read it and believe it. We can believe the improbable. Really, we can believe the impossible. But for the sake of my sermon title, we can reasonably believe the improbable. We believe that God sent his son to earth to bring you. We haven't even factored that into the statistics yet. We haven't even factored our own sinful nature into the statistics yet. And it's already highly improbable. Now, now we believe we'll get there eventually in the book of Matthew. Somewhere about 2026, I think, is when we're going to get there. We believe that God sent his son to earth to bring you into a right relationship with himself. Sweetheart, that is impossible unless you read and you see the signs. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. Mathematically speaking, it is highly improbable. But with God, even your salvation, I knew you guys would do that if I waited long enough. <laughs> but with God, even your salvation is already provided for already provided for in the stone tablets of time. It is finished. It's done. We just raised a cup to it a few minutes ago. Not only do we believe it, we live in it. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church weekly message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.